From BYU Broadcasting's Performance Studio, this is Highway 89. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. If you're feeling a certain celebratory excitement in the air, that's because right here at the Highway 89 studio, we've got a packed house all chomping at the bit to unleash on us and on you an explosion of New Orleans jazz. A lot of the musicians surrounding me here are students at BYU under the direction of Steve Call, and they're joined today by two New Orleans legends, trumpeter Greg Stafford, trombonist Lucian Barberin, fantastic musicians both. They just came through the doors of the studio moments ago after delivering clinics to young music students and their teachers right here in the Valley. Mr. Barberin and Mr. Stafford are musicians of the first order, but also music educators right down to the deepest parts of their souls. We're more excited than we can say to spend an hour with these gentlemen today. Let's kick off things with some music. Written by Porter Steele, here's High Society on Highway 89. Thank you. 
Coming to you live from Studio 6, we are listening to High Society. Steve Call, you are kind of responsible for bringing this group in today. Tell us who we've got in the studio. We've got the BYU Jazz Legacy Band, all new group this year. These groups have just been playing together since September. But uh, we've got a a couple of New Orleans masters with us, uh, Mr. Lucian Barbaron and Greg Stafford. Your musical history, I see you years and years holding a tuba in your hand, and you're always doing more than polkas. Right. <laughs> so what, what is your connection into the jazz world? I grew up as a jazz musician. As a kid, I could never learn to read or learn to read music. Unfortunately, in junior high school, I had a teacher who was a jazz musician. Later, I found out I'm dyslexic. So he, he gave me lessons and made me learn tunes rather than have to read music. Hmm. And then when I took up the tuba, I wanted to get lots of gigs. And the only way I could get gigs is organized groups like Dixieland bands and polka bands and brass quintets and all that kind of stuff. And that's how I kind of got into this music. You know, one thing about this, nobody's got any music on their stands in this room. All this music it's we're doing today heads. is just out of everybody's head. <laughs> and in fact, uh, in the solos that we're hearing, it's just being created in the moment. That's right. part of the fun That's of right. this, hearing these solos. Well, tell us about this next piece. The next piece is Someday You'll Be Sorry. This was a tune written by the great Louis Armstrong. It is a song that was way ahead of its time. It has very sophisticated harmonies that are, are, that are not normally associated with uh, some early jazz. But uh, we're going to feature Mr. Barber on doing the vocal on this wonderful tune. Someday you'll be sorry. Here we go. Take it away, take it away, 
Someday you'll be sorry. Sabas will say the way you treated me was wrong. Oh, zap, zap, zap out. I was the one who taught you all you know. Oh, you had your friends, had your friends make me sing another song 
Someday you'll be sorry. Coming to you live from Studio 6 on Highway 89. We just heard solos on that from Greg Stafford, Lucian Barberin, some of our BYU students in the jazz band. Mr. Barberin, what a pleasure to get to meet you. It's great to be here. Did you get to ever play with Mr. Armstrong? No, I've never played with, but my great uncle did, Paul did Barberin. Oh. Man. Yes, he had a chance to play with Louis Armstrong. Well, you tour internationally. You have with the Preservation Hall Jazz Band, up with Harry Connick Jr. Mm -hmm. How do you, do you play different, whether it's big band or jazz like this? Of course I do play differently. Um, when I play with Preservation Hall and then more ensemble, uh, it's more freedom. Uh -huh. and, and it's more I can ad-lib more. Now, when I'm playing with a big band, of course, it's more organized. And there's uh, certain times you would have to play a solo. And of course, the arrangements is your time to solo. And then you go sit back in your seat and the big band continue to play. You mentioned your great uncle. You're a fifth generation New Orleans musician. That's right. Uh, tell me about your great uncle, Paul. Okay, my great uncle, Paul, is one of my heroes. And um, he inspired me to what I'm doing today. Of course, I inherited what I'm doing. And I had no choice. I just came, I guess, out my mother's womb to just play music. <laughs> <laughs> I had no choice, man. And this is what I do today, you know. And was, my first instrument was drums. I wanted to be like my great uncle, Paul. And when did the trombone come along for you? Actually, the trombone came in high school. Um, my first instrument with the uh, brass instrument was in grade school. I just so happened to pick up a baritone horn hmm. in grade school. Just picked it up and started playing it. And the teacher was, asked me, he said, hey, would you like to play the instrument? And I said, well, first I have to ask my parents. And this instru instrument was bigger than me. So, <laughs> so um, and then I just started playing the brass instruments after that. Well, when you were singing that Louis Armstrong song, I love when you you came in with your trombone after, and you were playing it just the way he sang with oh, that wow. gravel in there. Thank so you. So nice. Your house, your home was severely damaged by Hurricane Katrina. Yes, it was. Now, I know hurricanes are nothing new down there. No. But was Katrina different? Katrina was different. Uh, as... I, I knew one day we would have a big hurricane like this. Mm. I've been through a lot of different hurricanes. There was Hurricane Betsy back in the 60s, uh, Hurricane Camille. That was a pretty bad hurricane. No, we uh, we live pretty much. We actually name drinks after hurricane. We have a, a drink that's called a hurricane. So <laughs> I understand. When you were a young man, you played with the Hurricane Brass Band. Exactly. So that just sounds like you're laughing at it. Well, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> the reason why my second cousin Danny Barker he played with Cab Calloway also. He named the band 
the Hurricane Brass Band because we sound like, as young kids playing this style of music, uh, we sound like it, we was a hurricane. We was so loud, it had much, so much energy, uh-huh. and uh, we was pretty loud. That's a lot of air, too. That's a lot of air, that's correct. <laughs> You have decided to stay, and so many musicians have to say we're going to rebuild there and we're going to keep this tradition and pass it on. That's important Important to you. That's very important, man. I do believe in keeping this music preserved because without this music, I mean, you come to New Orleans for the food, the culture, and and the music, you know? So so I believe in keeping this music alive. I, I like to pass this down to other generations, such as the BYU Man, I mean, these guys are great. I mean, tell you what, it's it's unbelievable the job that they are doing here. You know. Well, it's amazing to me that with all the places you could be playing, you choose to tour around and to also work with the next generation and pass this on. That's that's, that's my ambition. This is my goal in life to continue to do what I'm doing. Well, I'm clapping my hands here for yes, you. Sir. So thank you thank so you. much. Hey, tell us what we're going to hear next. What's uh, this next song? Uh, the second line. Okay, this has this a family is, connection. That's right. And uh, my uncle wrote many songs, and he wrote. Uh, this is one of the songs he wrote back in the fifties, mid fifties. This one is called a Paul Barber in second line. And he based it on more of his drum playing because in some of the lyrics you say, when you hear that beat, and that beat is that particular beat that my uncle created on his own, and you'll hear it in his next song. A bit of jazz history and a bit of personal history here. We'll let you take your place. We're about to hear some New Orleans greats with our BYU jazz players here, Mr. Greg Stafford, Mr. Lucian Barberin, who I just spoke with. This next piece written by his great-uncle Paul, it's The Second Line. Oh, young man, oh man, they'll be dancing 
Join the second line. Whoa! When you hear 
Stop with the Bing Bang, New Orleans, you me. They'll be dancing in the streets. Oh, you hear a line? It's called a second line. Oh, young and old will meet. They'll be dancing in the streets now, y'all. Oh, young men, old men, they'll be dancing during the second line. just been listening to the second line everybody taking their solos and just about blowing the roof off studio six here coming to you live on highway 89 some jazz greats with us today one of them mr greg stafford thank you sir for coming in and playing for us well thank you for giving us an opportunity to be here i want to ask a little bit about uh, the two of you mr barber and yourself great players but you really are committed to being a jazz educator, both in New Orleans for more than 30 years, you have bands you lead, like the Young Tuxedo Jazz Band. What is it you love about teaching young people this music? Well, you know, New Orleans jazz was the first form of jazz, and it is only our contribution that America has offered to the world, mm. due to the fact that um, Lucian and I was taught by one of the great pioneers of this music, Mr. Danny Barker. He instilled in us the importance of preserving this music. Up until the time I met him, you know, I had been playing in a lot of brass bands, but everything was just old hat, you know, just go through the motions and mm -hmm. the protocol. And then when he started explaining to us, when he was teaching us about this music, he taught us the history of it. And that's when I found out how important it was to just preserve it. And, and you know, being a protege of him, it became important for me also as an individual to try to keep the tradition going as well. So that's been my lifetime ambition. So you just played an incredible solo. Well, thank you. I want to ask, when you do you have something in your mind that you sort of say, okay, here goes solo mode, and you just click? Are you aware of what you're doing? or? Well, you know, most of the time when I play a solo, I don't play the same solo. Because, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. that's the nature of jazz in itself, you know. 
Um, but it depends on what what I'm feeling, what's going on, the surrounding with band members, and you know that adds to it as well. You know, it has to be in the rhythm that all that gives me an incentive to you know to create my solos. But most of the time, they're not going to be the same. Well, on a very lay level, all I can say. Is it sure fun to listen to and well, to watch? You. You've played, both of you, uh, with some greats. You've played with Wynton Marsalis, Brian Carrick, Michael White, lots of others. Mm-hmm. You're legendary players playing with legendary players. So what is the job? What makes somebody a legendary player? <laughs> I really don't know what it makes it. I don't know the criteria for establishing that. But I guess after a number of years, if you've played with a lot of great legendary musicians and you have worked with them throughout the years, I guess it's just like um, being in a pot of gumbo. You're marinated with their spirit and their soul. So their soul and spirit become part of your that's spirit. That's the best so technical carry. explanation I've heard. That's really great. <laughs> that's the way I, I mean. That's the way I see it, you know. Yeah, so. So uh, being with those legendary musicians like, like Chester's artists, Willie and Percy Humphrey, Sweet Ember, I've worked with a lot of those um, particular individuals. And um, so their soul and spirit lives through me because I've, I've worked with them on many occasions. Yeah, it goes on through the generations. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your work with the Black Men of Labor. This is a civic organization fostering brass bands in New Orleans. Well, uh, being one of the founders of that particular organization, um, it came about after the demise of Danny Barker because what had happened, um, the music, the brass band music had changed so much. You know, a lot of the younger brass band are playing contemporary uh, hip-hop music mm-hmm. as part of their selections presented in the music. Well, Danny Barker decided that he did not want to have a jazz funeral because he saw how the music had changed and it, the second line is that became so disrespectful when it came to um, jazz funerals. They were jumping on top of the hearse, throwing the coffins up and down in the air. So he decided that he would not have a jazz funeral. So upon finding that out, Fred Johnson and another musician by the name of Benny Jones, we decided that we'd have a conversation with Miss Lulu Barker, and we suggested to her that we would try to give Danny a decent honorable jazz funeral. And you know, prior to his funeral, the old music had not been played on the streets in quite a number of years. And then when we did that funeral, it created such a sensation amongst the people who had not seen the old tradition on the streets in a long time. So from that moment, you know, there were people on the streets saying, oh, this music got to come back. So we decided at that moment that we would organize an organization and our ambition and objective would be to preserve old-style brass band music and old-style way of dance and second-line music. Now, we got to hear more music, but I just have to ask one more question. Mm-hmm. Are you ever surprised by how widespread this music is? I mean, you're up here in the Rocky Mountains playing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not surprised because I've traveled the world, and um, in fact, next week I'll be going to Helsinki, Finland. In fact, I'll be there this time next week. And uh, as I continue to travel around the world, I see it's still interest in this music, you know, much more than it is back home in New Orleans. And I'm thrilled to see that. And these guys that we're playing with, they just, they knocked me out. <laughs> <You know? laughs> when Lucian told me that we were going to be playing for some students, you know, I said, okay, well, that should be interesting to see, you know. But um, these guys, and they're playing exceptionally well. So, you know, as, getting back to your question, you know, I'm not, I'm not surprised because this music has such of a magnetic spirit to it. Mm-hmm. And when, once someone hears it, they can't do nothing but enjoy it and, and long to hear it some more. Well, I think you're right about that. 
Mr. Stafford, this next set has uh, St. James Infirmary Blues and Joe Avery Blues. Tell me about St. James before we hear this. Well, St. James Infirmary Blues, I guess it's a song that relates to an individual losing his better half. Mm. And um, I came around, the music was played, and one of the most um, dynamic solos I've ever heard was the recording by Louis Armstrong, you know, and... um, I don't get a chance to play it as much. I sometimes play it at Preservation Hall, but it's it's one of those good old songs that most people love to hear, and um, I enjoy playing it as well. Mr. Greg Stafford, thank you so much. We'll okay. let you take your place. We're going to get to hear this pair of tunes about as good as they get. This is St. James Infirmary Blues, the traditional piece, followed by Joe Avery's Blues, written by Joe Avery. was gone around as usual Oh, and a goodly, goodly crowd was there When I stepped There was old Winnie Bobo His eyes was bloodshot red You know, he looked like he was drunk there He told me very sad story Oh, and here are the words he said I went down, down, down to St. James Infirmary the second time because I couldn't believe what I saw the first time I saw my baby there She was stretched out on a long white table So cold So sweet And so bad I said let her go Let her go May God bless her Wherever she May be whole wide world over she'll never find a good looking man like me 
Now when I die, my brother, I want you to bury me. Yes. In a box back coat with a Stetson hat. Put a $20 gold piece on my watch chain for all the fellas know I died standing pat. Now repeat after me. Hardy, 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 St. James Infirmary Blues. Yeah, yeah,
Joe Avery's blues, and before that, traditional St. James Infirmary blues. We can never get enough of this kind of music, so can we hear when the saints go marching? We got time. Can we do it? Saints go marching in. 
Highway 89 coming to you live from Studio 6. What a thrill to have some terrific players under the direction of Steve Call, lots of them BYU students, and two New Orleans legends, Lucy and Barbara and Greg Stafford, who took the solo on that last one. If you just caught part of the show, you'd like to hear the beginning. Listen again, share it with a friend. It's easy to do. All of our shows are archived online for free on-demand listening at byuradio.org slash highway89. Thank you, all of you, for coming and playing today. Follow us on Twitter at BYUH89 for live show updates and special behind-the-scenes photos and video clips. Highway 89 is a production of BYU Broadcasting in Provo, Utah. Our recording engineer is Mark Waite. Our student assistants are Victoria Khalil and Naomi Campbell. Our show's producer is Sam Payne. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Thanks for listening. Thank you.